Hello, friends. It is great to be together. And we are diving back into our series, How He Built This. What we're doing right now is uh, really, really key and strategic to uh, what we hope God will continue here in the next decades that, if the Lord tarries, we get to pursue together. Uh, I was made aware this week or reminded that over 50% of our members, I mean, the core people at Watermark who are committed to gather together um, a, a weekly, corporately, and then throughout the week and practicing the one another's of Scripture that are committed to developing and, um, and, and deploying their gifts after they're discovered for the glory of God, individuals that are committed to um, investing their lives, their sacred honor, their resources, their fortune to the advancement of the kingdom here, those individuals that make up uh, the core of our body that have been all the way through the membership process and are saying, this is the body of which I'm a part, 50% of us have been here for less than five years. So there's a lot of things that are second nature to those of us that um, have been here for a while. It's like a bunch of freshmen have rolled on the campus and they don't yet know the fight song. And you know, if you've ever been hanging around someplace for a while, when you graduate from a school, all right, especially schools with a lot of school spirit, you know the words of the fight song. And so we thought as we moved into our 20th year together, that it was important that we went back and go, hey, we maybe haven't done a good job of saying, these are the things that mark us. This is what it means if you are gonna ride for the brand here. Watermark has a logo, you've seen it, it's in that little bumper we just did. It's a W with a line that goes through it. Uh, we live in Texas, and so uh, we are marked by, all of us are branded by, if you will, the fact that this is the body of which we are a part. If Watermark is Jesus' church, it is a part of something much bigger and more important than Watermark. Watermark is not the body of Christ. It is the local expression of the body of Christ that we are all seeking to do the best we can. And one of the things that we're doing now is we are trying to strengthen other local bodies of Christ because there are brothers and our sisters so that every church, every community of Christ followers all around the world could be a thriving Acts 2 community. But we know this, if every community is gonna be a thriving Acts 2 community, this one has to be. And so whatever we do to serve other uh, fellowships and other uh, uh, communities of Christ, we have to make sure that we can say the things that you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things. And you will be a prevailing Christ-honoring community. It is the brand. And so it was interesting because this week, um, some friends asked me to jump in with them on um, communicating to maybe some people that will be adding and are communicating to the wider world what the brand is at Watermark. And I happened to meet with some incredibly smart people, I mean, gifted people, people that to do what we did together would have cost six figures plus to invest that kind of thinking together. And it was, a, it was a joy to sit in the room. And we started talking about brand ideology. Now, you may not know much about brand philosophy. I, I, I did, I mean, I could speculate about it, but they gave me some words that were really helpful. When you start talking about brands, you're talking about their effort to communicate something in a simple idea that is clearly articulated, and this is key, that is relentlessly pursued. So let me just see if these brands did a good job. Let me run you through some rather famous brands here and let's see if we can come up. This brand right here. When you think of that brand, what is it that they um, relentlessly pursue? We might say it a thousand different ways, but this is what Disney would tell you is their ultimate brand. They wanna keep alive the magic of childhood. 
That's Disney's brand. And so what they're doing is they're confusing gender identity and children with some of the things that they're currently in. No, sorry, I, 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 I diverge. But Disney's brand is to keep alive the magic of childhood. That's what they do. How about this one? This is Coke. Now, I would have missed this one. What do you think Coke's simple idea is that they're trying to say? When you have a Coke or when you're around Coca-Cola, this is basically what will happen. This is what their brand promises. All right? I heard a smile. I heard it's the real thing. This is it. They inspire optimism. I, I don't know how. Right? <laughs> Drink this because it can corrode a bunch of stuff off a battery. So I'm sure it will make you optimistic. All right? That's Coke. All right? Nike. Here we go. This is Nike. What are they? If you get the Nike brand, if you have it on your feet or you wear it on your chest or your jacket, what they say that brand does is it unleashes your inner athlete. So if you're wearing Nike right here, we all know, man, you, you, you might have an inner athlete. It doesn't look like you got an outer athlete. <laughs> but I know you've got an inner athlete. That's why you buy Nike. All right. How about Apple? Okay. Apple. When you think Apple, what do you think about? This is a good one. This is so interesting what companies think their brand is. If you have Apple, what Apple's trying to say, if you buy their products and you're part of this elite creative class, you're not just a wonk, right, who uses Microsoft and just processes and gets it done. You have some taste and some artistic value that you add to the world. That's what Apple's brand is. How about this one? This is the only one, by the way, I got right. What's the simple idea that Volvo communicates? What is it? That is it. Right? They're trying to say, if you drive a Volvo, you're going to be safe. You're going to be all right. That was the one I got. Okay? Um, uh, Lexus. I heard the word luxury. I, they want to say, hey, Lexus is reliable luxury. This was interesting to me because I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. We'll go last one. Starbucks. What's their brand? We make idiots drink burnt coffee. That's, that's their brand. I'm among the idiots. <laughs> but here's the big question. What is the brand of Watermark? I'm not even gonna give them the, to the human spirit. We'll get to that later. All right, Watermark. <laughs> Watermark. This is what cares about the human spirit right here. Because we're drawing you back into a relationship with God. Let me tell you what we've done real quick. I'm gonna move rather quickly here. Because what we've done in every message up to this weekend in this series is we've been telling you this is our brand. Now, a brand is a simple idea that is clearly articulated, and this is key, that is relentlessly pursued. And I really do think that one of the things that's different about this local expression of Christ's body is that we are committed to relentlessly pursue these things together. The, the gap between the rhetoric of most churches and the reality of who they are is significant. There's a lot of churches with great doctrinal statements that don't have great... Um, practical lives. In other words, orthodoxy might exist, but orthopraxy and calling people to that is a huge gap. I think that is um, our big distinctive here. We're going to be about it, okay? Honestly, this whole series can be summed up, and our brand is we're going to not be merely hearers of the word who delude ourselves, but we're going to do what the word of God says. And what we've been walking through um, this series, this is a few things. This was uh, the second week, actually. We, we came and we said, hey, we expect God to do something great. One of the things that's here, because we're doers of the word, is we believe that Jesus is still alive and that he wants to do something amazing through his people that's gonna cause a sense of awe, that's gonna rescue people from the domain of darkness 
into the kingdom of his beloved son. And we believe that that's going to happen here. We don't go to church, we are the church. Secondly, we are going to be concerned that we're going to be faithful to the word of God. I mean, the brand here is that we will be biblical and not worry about our size, but if we're biblical, man, may the whole world know. The third week that we um, really began to talk about some of these specific things, we said this, we're gonna be marked by love. Jesus says, if love isn't here, love biblically defined, and that's gonna really be important as we move into next week. Love biblically defined, if that doesn't happen here, then whatever we're doing is just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We just said this, and we're gonna be committed to measure our success this way, not by size or buildings or budgets, but by our ability to be and make disciples. Now you might want to get tired, you're, you're going all over the place. What I'm trying to tell you is, when we say we're committed to being all about it, these are the things that people are all about it do. They have marked us, they are distinctives. It's how God built this, it's how we've gone about it. We believe that we are missionaries here, not members of a club. That's part of riding for the brand. You don't jump in and like this place and go, you know what, this man, they finally put something together that pretty good, there's a great children's ministry here. By and large, the communicators, you know, I, I, I can roll with them. The music, yeah, that's kind of the music we like, right, honey? We're gonna come here again. No, that's not what this place is. This is a pastor's conference. This is a mission that we are here and we are encouraging each other to be faithful in the mission this week. We gather to scatter. These have been all the things we've talked about before this. One of the weeks we just said this, man, we are going to be in the business of doing life together. You wanna come here, you are not going to get to hide. You're gonna be part of a family. You're not gonna be a disconnected member of the body. We're gonna be one and we're gonna get after it together. We're gonna do the one another's of scripture, which gets to this one, because if you commit to do life together, I'm gonna to tell you something, it's not gonna always be easy. We're gonna relentlessly pursue um, our love for one another and sharpen one another. Now, I, 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 there was a slide that went up I didn't mention, I'm just gonna give it to you real quick. I, I st started in week two, and I'm gonna let you know, we don't think we can do any of this unless we do the thing I did the very first week, which was the slide that was up here just before this one, and it said this, we know that apart from God, we can do nothing. We're not gonna will ourselves into any of the things that we just said. We're not gonna try harder to love God. We pray, as we say so often around here, not because we're disciplined, but because we're desperate. And so we started this whole series just saying, man, God built this with us saying, not my will, but your will be done, Father, not according to my flesh, but by the power of your spirit, which indwells me. I'm not gonna lean on my own understanding and my own want to. I'm gonna deny myself and I'm gonna follow you. And I'm gonna live prayerfully. None of these things will we ever be able to do if, if, if the Spirit of God is not actively, sovereignly in control of our lives. We know that apart from him, we can do nothing. And so we're prayerful people. But as we go about living as prayerfully as we can, sometimes we're not gonna perfectly live prayerfully. And when we don't live perfectly prayerfully, it's going to cause conflict. Now, some people think conflict is a problem. And I see conflict as an opportunity. I tell people around here very often that about 80% of what I do in my job is I work through conflict. A lot of it I cause. <laughs> or at least just my existing in this world is a part of it. 
you know, we just got done with a two-week kind of insertion here um, talking about forgiveness, and we talked about how forgiveness is just one of the things you have to learn to do if you live on earth. Why? Because we create conflict when we live with one another. A story I told here probably, I don't know, two or three times in the first 15 years we were together that 50% of you have never heard goes like this. It's a story of a guy that um, was uh, out sailing one day and having a big time, and, and, uh, and the ship that he was on, it, it shipwrecked. Everybody died, but he got washed up on a shore. He was a fairly industrious guy, and so um, he thought, man, I hope I get rescued, but while I'm, I'm not able to be rescued, I better make the best of this place, and so you know, he did the best he could. And, and eventually, though, one day, there was a ship that was coming by where he was, and he got their attention, and they came over, and they found this guy. They go, man, we thought everybody in that ship was dead. We can't believe we found you. Come on, let's go. Let's get you home. And he goes, awesome, I'd love to. He goes, let me just go run back on the island and find a few things that, that will be a mementos of my time here. They go, well, sure. And he goes, well, where are you going? He goes, well, just follow me. And so they ran in. As they ran kind of through the, the initial jungle and the brush that was there, they got in. And there was these three magnificent structures. I, mean, I think Swiss Family Robinson, for those of you who watched Disney to keep the magic of childhood alive. Um, there was these three amazing structures that were there in the jungle of the tropics that this guy had built. And they go, that's unbelievable. Were these here when you got, he goes, no, I built all three of these. And, and they go, well, what are they? He goes, well, that, that's, that's, my, that's my church. That very first day of building there, that's my church. It's amazing. And they go, what's the middle house? He goes, well, that's, that, 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 that house, that middle house is my house. And so he gathered a few things from those two places. He started to go, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. What's that third building? He goes, oh, he goes, that's the church I used to go to. Now that story makes me laugh because that defines so much of what's going on. Do you know that people who study these things um, found that I think 40% of individuals that today are not a part of a local community of individuals of faith say it's because they used to be a part of one and it didn't go well and so they're not going back. 40% of the people that are out there that are not connected and loved and encouraged are out there because they never learn to walk through conflict. Let me just read you this. This is um, from one of my favorite authors. His name is uh, A.W. Tozier. And, and Tozier needed to be a part of a church like Watermark. Tozier is one of the most thoughtful men of the last 100 years. I mean, I put him up there with C.S. Lewis in terms of his ability to articulate and write. Can I just say this about A.W. Tozier? A.W. Tozier was not a part of a biblical church. And the reason I say that is because A.W. Tozier, when he died, his wife later remarried. And they said, what's it like to be married to somebody after you were married to A.W. Tozier? She said, well, let me tell you what it's like. A.W., my first husband, loved God, but my second husband loves me. That is a rhetorical reality gap. A.W. Tozier's family did not experience the knowledge of the holy and the pursuit of God. And that doesn't change any of the truth that he wrote and the amazing beauty of it, but that's a tragedy that there was conflict in his home that was never um, resolved. Without love, you're nothing. And I don't know what is said at my funeral, but I will tell you, it will be a tragedy if people go, man, Todd was a part of an amazing work of God, and my wife says, I hope my next husband loves me. If my kids say, oh yeah, my dad, of course you guys all love him because he was with you guys all the time. He didn't love me. He wasn't there for me. He wasn't my dad. That would be a tragedy. 
And he Tozer writes this. He just says, some misguided Christian leaders feel that they must preserve harmony at any cost, so they do everything possible to reduce friction. They, they should remember that there is no friction in a machine that has been shut down for the night. Turn the power off and you have no problems with moving parts. Also remember there's a human society where there are no problems. It's called the cemetery. The dead have no differences of opinion. They generate no heat because they have no energy, no motion, but their penalty is sterility and complete lack of achievements. What what then is the conclusion of this matter? This man writes that problems are the price of progress, that friction is the concomitant of emotion, that a live and expanding church will have a certain quota of difficulties as a result of its life and activity. A spirit-filled church will invite the anger of the enemy. And so he will seek to divide them. The, the scripture says in Proverbs 14, 4, where there is no oxen, the manger is clean. But much increase comes from the strength of an ox. A lot of people get rid of human community because they go, I just can't get along with people. But they are miserable and lonely. And they are not what God created them to be. Do you know that people who study such things say that the number one predictor of divorce is this. It is habitual avoidance of conflict. The, the, the comic strip says this. Well, we never talk anymore because we figured out that's when we have all our fights. <laughs> and I got to tell you that one of the things that's going to happen here um, is that we're going to call you to work through conflict. Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God to grow others and to change and grow yourself. About 80% of what I do, I said, is to work through conflict and misunderstanding and miscommunication and real grievances, which means when I'm working through conflict, conflict is not sin. Now, let's just be honest, all sin leads to conflict. But what we do when sin enters into our hearts and causes us to be jealous or envious or spiteful toward one another or to not live in a way that makes for the bond of peace, what we do with that when it comes to light is what will mark us as children and sons of God or as people of the world. This is what Jesus said as simply as he could in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, what happens in most churches, and maybe you're going to know this, you're going to find yourself on the spectrum of God wants us to be peacemakers. There's really two straw man extremes, okay? And we all do, you know, at times when we're not yielding to the spirit of God and being ministers of reconciliation, as he calls us, we all default one of these two ways. But when you're not a peacemaker, you're either a peace breaker, like you hurt me, I'll show you what hurt looks like. And you won't do that again. Or you're a peace faker, which is like, yeah, you annoy me, but I'll smile when I'm with you, and I'll kind of move on, and I just won't. I'll avoid you. I'm not going to pursue oneness with you anymore. I'll keep a safe distance from you. I'll act like we're okay, but we're not okay. My, my, my adult children and I, um, about a week ago, we sat at a table, and we, we had maybe one of our, our most encouraging times together uh, well, my wife and I said maybe that we've ever had because there was just some stuff that had happened that was going on. There was miscommunication. There was hurt. There was misunderstanding. And we sat down and, and we had a lot of fun. I said, hey, guys, but there's three things I want to cover tonight in the midst of all the fun we're going to have when we always do around a meal. And, um, 
And I, I kind of entered us into it by just saying this. Here's what I'd like to do. You know, after we work through some of the stuff that was there, you know, that was one and two. Uh, actually, there was just a little update from family, okay? And then there was, I want to address this issue that I see happening between us and some siblings and some things. And then I want to talk about this third thing. The third thing I said I want to talk about is this. We use a little phrase around here talking about the way people handle conflict. It's called being a weenie. And we don't want people to be a weenie. Don't be a weenie. It's a W, E, N, and I. The W is withdraw. That's a peace faker. The E is escalate. That's a peace breaker. The N is a negatively interpret. There's no conflict here. If you didn't have a problem, there wouldn't be a problem. Well, the problem is the way you view this. And then the I is just invalidate which is a combination thereof. And I just said to him, hey, what, which one are you in our family? Do you withdraw, do you escalate, do you negatively interpret, or do you invalidate? And we just all went around. And it was really interesting. You know, with you, I think I do this. With you, I think I do this. When I'm not living as Jesus wants me to live. And we just all asked for forgiveness for one another and said, man, help me with this. And I don't want to be a weenie. I want to pursue oneness. I don't want to have Typical American family portrait where we smile for the camera because it's Christmas Day. I want us to love one another, man. I want us to live in peace as God intends. And so we're going to have to deal with the foxes that come racing into the vineyard here that wants to destroy the richness of what God has created. And off we ran. And it was beautiful. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Do you guys know what the very first casualty of sin was? The very first casualty of sin was relationships. God and man were separated. Man and woman were separated. Humanity and creation were at war with one another. What did sinful humanity did? We were immediately withdrawn. Adam hid. Adam was also an escalator. The woman you gave me. And on and on it went. But you know what God did in the midst of conflict? What we as God's people should do. God ran to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? I'm looking for you. I mean, I know what has happened. I know what's going on. I know what's now marked you. I know what your problem is. And I'm going to run to you. And I'm going to fix this. And I'm not just going to show you I'm holy because I am. I'm going to show you that I'm loving and kind and merciful and gracious but you're gonna have to deal with your sin and we're gonna have to reconcile, which is the basis of the last two weeks of what we've talked about. We forgive because he forgave us. It's interesting, I, I also, this week, um, because of the way that we communicate with each other every year when we just re-up and say we're committed to these things, I, I was looking at some, some reasons that people leave Watermark. There's four reasons that people um, have left watermark primarily. Number one is theological differences. They no longer want to be biblical with us. They, they just go, no, as I rightly divide the word of truth, I think you're wrong. And uh, they leave because of theological differences. Some leave because, ah, it's just too big. I can't get assimilated, which is why all we're trying to do is create smaller environments where we can answer questions, call you to smaller communities, work through community formations. And I just want to tell this to you guys. Every month there are hundreds of people that it's working for it's not easy, but we are here to help you. The bigger we get, the smaller we need to get. Third reason people live is because they go, I, I, I'm an A.W. Tozier. I want to study theology. Um, I want to be equipped, but I'm not going to do life with you, and you're not going to talk to me about things. I don't want to be shepherded. I don't want somebody else speaking truth into my life. And um, I, I'm just not going to do that. I want to go to church and be left alone. Well, that's just not God's church. 
The fourth reason people have left is because of conflict. And I will tell you that people who leave because of conflict have a theological difference with us. Because I'm not bothered by conflict. Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God, serve others, and grow ourselves. That is called a win, win, win. It's why I'm not afraid of conflict. I don't like it. And that's why I do what God says is the thing which will fix it. Well, Todd, what's going to fix conflict? Before I, I, I go too far into that, let me just show you that God's word makes it really clear that this is what his, his very first thing that he says is going to be evidence that you're my children, that you are my church, is that you guys are going to be what the world isn't. The world can peace fake, right? The world can have um, uh, a bunch of societally correct smiles and cocktail conversations. Or the world can go to war, right? Would we all agree the world's good at those two things, political correctness and political violence? But you know what the world is not good at? Personal relationships and love, reconciliation and unity. And God says, that, that's the thing I'm gonna choose to say marks my people. Example one. Ephesians chapter four. Um, Ephesians four, uh, and I've looked at this carefully, follows Ephesians three, two, and one, okay? So it's an amazing observation I made this week as I looked at my Bible. And one of the things, one of the things you'll see in Paul's books is that he always starts with theology. He always starts with, this is what the word, this is what God has done, and now he's gonna say, this is the word, now walk in it. He doesn't ever want you to be an Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 person. And he, he doesn't ever want you to be a behaviorist who does these things apart from believing and being empowered by who God is and what he's done for you. So here's Ephesians 1 through 3. You guys are all lost and hiding from one another. You're filled with political correctness or political violence. And Jesus loves you and has rescued you through the cross. Chapter 4. Aren't you anxious to hear now what your father is going to say to you in light of the cross? Therefore, Paul says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, held captive by his love, if you cross-reference what he means when he uses that phrase, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. What's Paul thinking right here? He's thinking this. My Lord and my Savior who died for me said, if I want to be his son, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. This is part of having the family name. We don't have irreconcilable differences. Verse two. With all humility and gentleness. That is a life's work for me. But here's the good news. Todd, don't wait till you're humble and gentle. If anyone wishes to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's the humility and the gentleness of the Spirit. Isn't the Spirit of God in me? I must decrease, he must increase. I'm not gonna live according to my own understanding or according to the flesh, for the flesh is at war with the Spirit, with the humility of Jesus, who ran after those that hated him, with the gentleness of God. I said, Adam, where are you? With patience, long-suffering, showing tolerance or forbearance, your scriptures may say, for one another in love, watch this, be diligent, which is a word which means ongoing, relentless activity. 
this is the brand. And it shouldn't bother you, right? It shouldn't bother you that you gotta work at this because we're not home yet. Okay, I, I am being sanctified, but in those moments when I quench the spirit and grieve the spirit, there's going to be conflict or because sometimes um, I perceive what you've done as a certain way and injustice towards me, I might start to see you a certain way and that creates conflict and we gotta work through it. We gotta be diligent to preserve what the cross has accomplished. Now watch these next three verses. Watch, watch what God says is where he is. There is one body. There is one spirit. Just as you all were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord. There's one faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What, what word pops out right there? Oneness. What's the enemy want to do? Divide. A mark that the Spirit of God is not present is that there is division. This is Philippians chapter two when Paul's praying for the church in Philippi. He says, therefore, <laughs> in the light of the love of God, if Christ has encouraged your heart at all, if there's any, any consolation of the love of God, if there's any fellowship in the midst of your spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, make my joy as your pastor complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, in, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. It's the mark. It is the mark. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Let me tell you what I'm doing so much in this message. I am paying attention, okay, um, to the scripture, to public exhortation, and teaching. I'm just trying to read to you and remind you, this is the brand, this is what God says which should mark us. I mean, to say it again, conflict is an opportunity for us to be who we say we are. We're, Jesus doesn't say that all Christians are perfect. He says all Christians have acknowledged their imperfection, have received the grace of God that covers our sin through the cross and faith in Jesus Christ, and then are controlled by our love for him and are doing the best we can to walk as he walked and to love as he loved. And when we don't do it, or we start to think with minds that separate us, we deal with it. We have an opportunity to be sanctified, to glorify God, serve others, and grow ourselves. How many things in life can you think of that are a win, win, win? And so we've got to really retune our hearts to understand what conflict is. Hebrews 12 is just saying, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak. That's what I'm trying to do this week. I'm trying to say, if you're going to ride with a brand here, we don't expect you to be perfect. We don't expect you not to annoy us. We don't expect not to annoy you. We expect that we will strengthen each other's hearts and we'll make straight paths for our feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. It's just metaphorical language now so that we can, watch this, be healed and pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many would be defiled. Wow, so beautiful. I, 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 if I talked about conflict and I didn't read these verses, I, I would, uh, I would have conflict with myself. And so let me just read what it says is true 
about who we are. This is, this is again what God would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. There's, there's a section of scripture here that just says basically, listen, and we are not called to find churches that are largely pleasing to us. We're not supposed to find a mate that we never argue with. Churches are formed and forged through a commitment to yielding to the Spirit of God. Godly families are not found. I love Jeff Foxworthy, okay? I, I grew up as a kid listening to Casey Kasem at America's Top 40, okay? And then um, I love Bob Kingsley even more. And uh, when he used to do uh, the Top 40 Country Countdown, and then later Jeff Foxworthy had his own countdown, and, uh, and Casey Kasem used to always say, uh, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. See you next week on America's Top 40, right? And Jeff Foxworthy had his own little thing that he signed off on, and it was this. He goes, everybody's family crazy, so call your mama and hug your kids. That's the way he signed off. <laughs> and I just want to tell you, everybody's family is crazy. R right? I mean, you guys act like, well, we're not crazy. I don't. <laughs> Smile for the camera. It's Christmas morn. Everybody's family is crazy, so call your mother. Hug your children and, and seek to be reconciled. This is who we are, right? I mean, I, I just, this church, this church will be flat crazy and, and, and not what God wants it to be if we don't call each other and greet one another with a holy kiss, which is to say it's not gonna be um, the kiss of Judas. Hi, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. That's the kiss of Judas, man. But the holy kiss is, I love you enough, and I'm going to tell you some things that are true because I want nothing between us. The things that I'm going to say about you in the car and the ride home, with gentleness and grace, I'm going to say right now because I don't want there to be something between us. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Now all these things, people, that I'm sharing with you are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The word oneness popped all through Ephesians 4. What word is popping all through here? Reconciliation. Let's play along. Circle it, underlined it, make a note. Reconciliation seems to matter to him. Therefore, because we're riding for the brand, there is to be relentlessly pursued as his ambassadors, as if God himself was making an appeal through us. I beg you, on behalf of God, be reconciled to him. And then as you're reconciled to him, it continues a little bit later. Be reconciled to one another. I mean, the gentleness and humility of God who made him who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Clothe yourself in it. Clothe yourself in it. Let me just give you a few things. Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Two chapters later, Paul writes this. So then when we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another, that's what we gotta do. That's who we are. Proverbs in verse, chapter six, verses 16 through 19, God, God just says this. He goes, there are six things which I hate. Ooh. 
Seven. Seven, which are an abomination. If somebody asked me sometime, I was walking along, they said, Todd, what are the, what are the, um, uh, the seven um, deadly sins? And do you know that, that there is no seven deadly sins in the Bible? That is an invention that's extra biblical. But when I was asked that, I go, if you want to know seven things that it does say in the Bible God hates, turn to Proverbs 6 with me. This isn't venal, immortal sins that comes from the expression where the seven deadly sins came from. But, but this is what God says he hates. Now, this is like, you ever play that game, Tribon? Right, where they mention three things and you gotta figure out what ties them together. Like if I say uh, mantle, crust, and what's the third one? Like lava, right? Core. core, thank you. Mantle, crust, and core. The answer is earth, all right? And so you throw out three things. You gotta find out what ties it together. This is, this is not tri-bond. This is um, you know, seven bond right here. So what are the seven things that I'm gonna list off? What's consistent with all of them? Watch this. God hates this. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife. Answer, things which destroy human relationships. God hates it. Because it's the first evidence that sin is at work and not his spirit. So you know what God hates? God loves you. He hates the fact that you're divorced. He hates the fact that you're divorcing. He hates the fact that you're unforgiving and bitter. He hates the fact. He doesn't hate divorcees. He hates divorce because he loves you. This is not to say there's not a time to get out of dangerous situations. But even there, he has an admonition to us. Be single or reconciled. And you're like, are you kidding me? I'm just saying, you want to be marked with supernatural love? Ride for the brand. Now, here's the thing. God hates one who spreads strife among his brothers. I want to just talk a little bit about this because um, again and again throughout Scripture, it, it talks about, um, about how people who, who gossip and slander and speak maliciously about one another. We had a thing here, which I know that 50% of you who've been members for less than five years have maybe never heard me talk about. And it's called the 24-hour rule. And it's just time for me to rebrand that into your hearts and minds. Because you just need to know that that's the way we roll around here. Because we want to honor God and, and, and not just have rhetoric about being sons of God, but the reality be very far from it. No, we want to be the people of God. And so that means we've got to do the things that God wants us to do. And so here we go. Here we go. This is the 24-hour rule. And that is when somebody comes to you and says, hey, did it bother you when somebody, or did you know that that person, did you, you know, Todd, he's just a little bit, that what we do is, and I want to tell you, I don't ever expect you to go, well, Todd's our pastor. He would never make a mistake. And you're like, well, don't worry, bro. I don't ever do that, right? No, you, you, when you hear somebody speak poorly of another person who is not present, you just go, man, it sounds like, it sounds like they hurt you. Have, you. have you told them that? Or it sounds like there's a character flaw there that, um, isn't what God wants to exist in the life of somebody who's taken his name. And so the loving thing to do would be to address that with them, right? I mean, I'll just insert this real quick here before I go back in the 24-hour rule. This is one of my favorite, uh, Far Side is my favorite cartoon, and this is one of my favorite Far Sides of all time. You can't read it, but you can see that this guy's got a problem, right? 
He's got a rhinoceros coming out his lower back. And the doctor's going, hmm, wait a minute here, Mr. Crumbly. Maybe it isn't kidney stones that are troubling you after all. Well, no, he's got a rhinoceros hanging out his back. Do you think his wife knew that? His kids knew that? You think the folks who worked with him knew that? You think everybody goes, hey, bro, you seen Crumbly? He's got a rhino hanging out his back. I think probably godless people around Mr. Crumley never told him the truth and had to send him to a professional who could diagnose it. May it never be. Do you have people who love you? If you're part of this church, you should. Right, you know what's amazing is so many people sometimes get around folks who have not, not listen, when we first come to Christ, of course there's a lot of the old man or old woman that's still attached to us. And so we've got a lot of work to do to be conformed to his image. But have you ever seen around people who said that they've been around the family of God for 10 and 15 years and nothing has really changed? And the word goes, that's a, that's a part, it's a leader in your church, it's a person who's been there for 15 years? I can be around that guy for 30 seconds that I know what his problem is. Have you guys not addressed that to him? Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Deceitful are the kisses of Judas, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. There's only two people in the world that can tell you the truth about yourself. That's an enemy that's lost his temper or a friend that loves you dearly. And it's gonna just, just come alongside of you and say something to you, but a friend that loves you dearly doesn't tell everybody else. Have you seen Crumley? <laughs> never seen a rhino like that. This is what the scripture says about a person who talks about other people's rhinoceroses. Therefore, don't associate with that person. This, it, it says that, that God hates the one that causes strife, that makes fun of people with rhinoceroses. Proverbs 18.8 specifically says this. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the body. Isn't that true, right? I, does anybody else here love donut holes? I love donut holes. I'd rather eat eight donut holes than one donut. Wouldn't you? There's just something about them. I don't have to work. It's just in, melting, swallow, go again, all right? I don't feel as much like Elvis just shoving the same jelly donut in my mouth for two minutes. It's just one at a time. I love them. But here's what happens. When I'm eating these dainty morsels, they all of a sudden sit with me and they stick on me and they change me. When I hear people say, something nasty or less than flattering about somebody else, it's kind of sweet. Like, oh, well, that person's saying that about them. They must, they, they, you know, right now, they're saying that person's not like you, Todd. You don't have a rhinoceros. And it kind of is sweet to my fallen ears. But when I carry all that around, it creates arrogance and pride and judgmentalism and just a nastiness that isn't helping me. And so you just need to know this. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Anytime you come to me and you say something to me about somebody else, this is the way I've rolled for, for decades since I've known Jesus. And you said, Todd, you know, so-and-so just this and that. I'm like, hey, man, have you told that person that yet? Well, no, are you crazy? No, I'm not crazy. And in fact, I'm just gonna ask you in the next 24 hours just to reach out to him, just say, I need to get together with you. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna reach out to you in 24 hours. Have you had a chance to reach out to them yet? And say, so we gotta work through this. And if you say no, I'm going to call this person and he and I or she and I are going to come to you and, and we're going to work this out. 
we read it this way, like, and now I charge you that if, that if you ever hear another member speak an unkind word or criticism or slander against anyone, myself, another pastor, a person who's greeting you here, a member of your community group, it doesn't matter. Anybody else, you have the authority. In fact, I would say you have the biblical responsibility to stop that person in mid-sentence and say, excuse me, who hurt you? Who ignored you? Who slighted you? Was it Todd? Let's go to his office right now, man. Let's call him. He'll get on his knees. He'll apologize to you. He'll seek your forgiveness. And we'll pray together so that God can restore the peace of the intents in this body. Or he'll clear up the misunderstanding in a way that you won't have to carry that around. But mark my word, we're not going to let you talk critically about another person who's not present to defend themselves. Please understand me that we're entirely serious about this. We've got to cut a death to the slanderer and to the gossip and to the dainty morsels. Proverbs 20, 19, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. Proverbs, uh, Leviticus 19, 16, you should not go about as a slanderer among your people and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. Don't ever say, oh, that's just the way they are. No, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you that way. We should never say that's just the way they are. They just, they just talk too much or they just don't listen or they're a little bit racist or they're just homophobic. Well, they're just a loud mouth. They just bully people. We should never say that. We should just say, no, they love God and they want to be more like him. We are committed to that. It's called the sanctification process. Now, you might ask yourself, well, wait a minute, Todd. Am I supposed to be a troublesome meddler that every little thing that I go at, uh, come up against somebody and, and see them do some things is, 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 um, is a, a reason for me to shoot off an email or to call them? No, because Proverbs 19.11 says this. It says, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook a transgression. Which now, what question should you ask when you read that verse? You should go, okay, wait, wait, wait. So how do I know if it's something I should overlook or if it's something that I should go, hey, you know what, I, I, in love, the way it tells me to in Galatians chapter six, if I see anybody in spiritual trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking first to yourself so you won't be arrogant or get the log out of your own, fail to get the log out of your own eye so that you're not tempted to, to sin in that way. But no, you go and you bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the love of Christ. Well, how do I know, Todd, if I'm supposed to go because there's something going on there that I should deal with or if it's just because I'm discreet, I'm gonna, in love, overlook a transgression. Here's how you know. It says in Galatians 6, if a brother is caught in any spiritual trespass. What's a spiritual trespass? A spiritual trespass is one of four things. It's when somebody does something that's dishonoring to God. If somebody is acting in a way that is not consistent with the character and nature of God because you're their brother or sister in love, you must go to them. Because you know that they have said, I have been identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in the life which I now live. I want to live in newness of life to the glory of him. Here's an area where they're not living to the glory of God. So you're going to go to them in a spirit of gentleness and you say, hey, I need you to love and help me in this same way. But I wanna, wanna ask you, has, has, has anyone ever mentioned to you, and please forgive me if the way that I'm doing this is 
is discouraging to you, but I'm coming to you because I love you and I believe you want to be God's man or woman. And so here I go. If something that is in their life is a sign of God, you can't look over it. Secondly, if it's damaged your relationship, right? Because that should never be. This is Ephesians 4, 3. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. So maybe you can go to them and say, hey, listen, maybe it's because, and I've really asked God to search me and know me and try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and to lead me in the everlasting way and to see if this is just a petty jealousy that's maybe in me and that's what's causing this conflict. Maybe I, I, I have an unhealthy need to be noticed by you, and so that may be a part of this, but, but there's something between us that I've got to work out. You might need to help me. This may not be a you problem, but I'm coming to you because our relationship is suffering. Thirdly, if you see somebody doing something that's hurting or might hurt other people, we don't go, hey, they've got a right to choose. No, we got to say that, 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 that can't be. And I, 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 you're not hurting me, but I see you hurting others. And so I've got I've to do what I can to stop and speak against that. And say that's not what God does. God's people don't, don't do that to people. And then fourthly, an offense is too serious to overlook if a person is doing something. It's diminishing that person's utility or usefulness to God. They're not gathering here. I stream about every six weeks. I go to most community groups twice a semester. When I'm there, I look at my iPhone more than engage and, and ask you how you're feeding your soul, how you're feeding your flesh, how you're feeding others. I don't play that game. That's hurting that person's utility to God. You just need to know that's how we roll because we're God's people and we love one another. It's part of the brand. It's who we are. Ministers of reconciliation, faithful wounders, kingdom restorers. We, are, we're, 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 we, we forgive each other, but we also work to reconcile. Forgiveness is a one-time act that I do whether you seek my forgiveness or not. Reconciliation happens when we work towards something together. I just want to close with this and just meld our last couple of weeks together. This is Ephesians 4. 28 through 30, where the scripture exhorts us about how, actually 30 through 32, where the scripture exhorts us about how we're to live. It says in Ephesians 4, 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, it grieves God when you hurt each other this way. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Quick question. Has God forgiven everybody? Answer, God has offered forgiveness to everybody. Is everybody reconciled to God? Well, let me just say this before I go a little further. All of us are responsible to forgive which means I no longer want to see you suffer. I no longer want to see, and I'm not going to move towards you in hate and vengeance. I want to be forgiving towards you. Forgiveness doesn't mean I forget what happened. Forgiven doesn't mean I pardon you. Forgiveness doesn't mean I condone what you just did. You don't condone things that are wrong, and you don't need to forgive things that aren't wrong. Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is not forgetting. There's a real truth real quick on this. 
Forgiveness is not reconciling. We are to forgive each other as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us, which means that we are to go to each other and say, I want you to know, man, you've hurt me, and I want you to know I'm willing to forgive you. And somebody says, well, I said I'm sorry. I'm just closing with this. Listen to me. When you hurt somebody and you say, I'm sorry, and I'm the king of this, right? Sometimes I've said this to my wife. Well, hey, I'm sorry. Like, get over it. Right? That doesn't usually reconnect us. (laughs) Do you know what reconnects us? is when my wife loves me enough to say, hey, Todd, I know you want to be a godly husband. I know you want to love me. What you just did, that that tone wasn't kind. I don't go, well, I'm sorry. I go, well, that was a sorry tone. When you say I'm sorry, what you're really saying is I'm agreeing. I acted in a way that was sorry. And so what's a person who acts in a way that was sorry do? They go, yes, I am sorry because that's not who I want to live. I confess and agree with you that is sorrowful living. Now watch. Will you forgive me? Will you, by the grace of God, let me back in? Scripture says that if we confess and forsake, we'll find compassion. So I don't just agree that it was wrong. I seek forgiveness and I forsake it. And I surround myself with people. I look at what the triggers were. And I go, sweetie, I don't want to do that anymore. Let's widen it. Let's get others to pray for me. Let's talk about what the things were in my life that made me short with you. And I begin to forsake that thing. And I rebuild the trust and I come back in and we are one again. It's a really awkward thing when people have said this stuff to me before. They go, hey man, Ty, I just want you to know, man, I'm really sorry. I just, I I do this, I just just listen. I go, you know, what do most of us say when people say I'm sorry? Watch this. Hey man, I'm really sorry about that. What's the next words? Oh, that's okay. No, no, it's not. No, it's not which is why we've got to go and just say, hey, will you forgive me? I do this when people say, man, Todd, I'm really sorry. What are you sorry for that? Okay, well, listen, I appreciate, sometimes I'll say I appreciate your sensitivity. I, I didn't notice that what you did, I didn't make, it wasn't sorry acting to me, but I just heard you say that. So I want to honor what you just said, and, and I'd love to forgive you. I want you to know I, I, there was no angst between us anyway, and the person said, no, I know I wronged you when I did that. Great. What would you like from me? Well, I just want to tell you I thought it was wrong. No. What would you like from me? Because I don't really even agree with you that what you just did was wrong, but you're telling me it was wrong. So what would you like from me? Well, I want to just restore the relationship. Great, I'd love to restore the relationship. What do you want? Do you want me to forgive you? Yeah, that's why I said I'm sorry. No, you said I'm sorry, and now I'm agreeing with you. It was sorry. (laughs) You think I'm kidding? You watch the power when people start to go, will you forgive me? And you go, yes. Come here, yes. I forgive you. Father, I pray we'd ride for the brand. Pray we'd be people who reconcile with one another and forgive each other. Pray we wouldn't be too hard on ourselves and act like just because a um, person's asked for forgiveness that everything is all of a sudden good. It takes work to reconcile, but I pray we'd be ministers of reconciliation, kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us, and reconciling, just like our Lord and King. This is what marks us. This is what marks us, because we're yours. Help us to abide with you and not grieve your spirit and make us one with one another in Jesus' name. Amen.